This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome back to the Rebel Author Podcast, episode 31. Today's podcast is with Derek Murphy, and we're talking all about reader funnels, what they are, how to create them, and why they're key to developing a loyal fan base. A quick note before we start, uh, if you can hear any changes in the audio, it's because I have packed away my infamous rainbow bookcase, which is usually behind me. That was, uh, much to my surprise, dampening the audio uh, in here. Well, dampening the echo, I should say. We are moving imminently, and so I hope it won't be too much longer before I can sort the audio quality back to normal. So to last week's question, and I asked, how do you battle imposter syndrome and self-doubt? Tom Fowler said, I battle it by uploading a book and hitting publish. A few months later, I do it again. I loved this, not only because it was cheeky, but also because it's bloody true. You have to just keep going. Even though I get asked a lot, um, how do I get past the inner critic, how do I, uh, you know, keep going when all I hear are my own self-destructive thoughts. And much as nobody really wants to hear this, at the end of the day, you have a choice. It is up to you. Nobody can make you write the book. Nobody can make you sit down and write. We all face this choice every day. Do not think that you are alone in the imposter syndrome and the self-doubt. We all feel it. But those of us who continue to publish make the choice to sit down and write anyway, despite what that fucker is saying. Yanni said, I look back on how far I've come and feel proud of the progress I've made. Even if I'm not where I want to be yet, I'm always stepping in the right direction. I don't think there's a human being on the planet who hasn't dealt doubted themselves before, but the imposter syndrome gremlin can be particularly nasty. Having a really uh, sorry, having a network of really supportive nutbags helps too. I think she's referring to the Rebel Author Facebook group. And Downward said, I've been a long time listener to The Worried Writer. My default answer to this question is to hide under the heaviest rock I can find and pray the predatory feelings aren't strong enough to roll it over. These days, I've had great success with the idea of establishing th systems, thanks to Jay Thorne and then working to them. My other answer is to seek out a change of scenery, preferably to a location where I can get in a good power walk while thinking, or sometimes just feeling my way through an obstacle. I love this answer because I too have uh, Jay Thorne to thank for implementing systems. I'm not entirely there yet with my systems, but I certainly have some systems in place now. And the one that I need to just nail down the, the most is the fiction writing, which I will be doing once we move house. So this week's question is, what kind of content do you put in your reader funnel? The book recommendation this week is my own book, 10 Steps to Hero, How to Craft a Kick-Ass Protagonist. This book delves into detail about how to develop your protagonists and your heroes. It looks at conflict, it looks at cliches, it looks at the character arc, it also looks at the hero lens. If you've ever struggled to develop your protagonist or create depth around your characters, then this book is for you and I will leave a link to it in the show notes. 
In personal update news this week, it was a cracking week, I am pleased to say. I smashed out a load of work for the launch of the Anatomy of Prose. And while I'm not yet caught up with launch work, I certainly made headway and that made me feel a whole hell of a lot better. And I am also, I'm very excited to say, firing on all cylinders when it comes to developing the Anatomy of Prose course. So I don't know if I've even mentioned this on here yet, but I am actually developing a companion course. It's not going to be absolutely everything in the book because I think there are sections in the book that need to be pulled out and put into different courses, which I do also intend to develop. Um, but certainly it is going to be a meaty course. And so yes, I have been developing that in the background and I it's going faster than I thought too. So we'll see. I'm not going to make any announcements as to the ifs and whens of it because I'm moving house, but I am certainly racing forward with that. I am really looking forward to the Anatomy of Prose launch. launch. We are less than uh, two weeks away now as I record this on Sunday the 17th. And I'm, okay, so obviously I'm looking forward to it because it's a launch, but I'm also looking forward to it because it's been a long time since I was writing fiction. And I am really, really craving fiction now. This does tend to happen for me. I write nonfiction as a pal palate cleanser and then I go back to writing fiction but I have ended up publishing two fiction non-fiction sorry back to back just because I got stuck in the last fiction book however I am craving it so hard and I've barely been writing the last couple of weeks too and certainly during corona because uh, just just basically for having less time uh, but the words I have been writing have been non-fiction so yes I am super excited to go back to that Again, I can't remember if I've mentioned this, but I am running two giveaways for the Anatomy of Prose. Um, these are ARC competitions and ARC copies. One, you can enter by visiting my Instagram, and I will leave a link to that in the show notes. And then the other one you can win by entering uh, using a rafflecopter giveaway, and I will also put the link to that in the show notes. Don't forget, you can order both the textbook and the workbook of the Anatomy of Prose from any of your favourite bookstores. You can get it in ebook, paperback and hardback, uh, although not the text, uh, not the workbook in hardback, that will uh, not be in hardback. And hopefully by fall 2020, you will also be able to have the audiobook. And if you would like to read the book for free, then you can always go to your local library and order it through that. I will leave a link to that in the show notes. To celebrate the launch of The Anatomy of Prose, 12 Steps to Sensational Sentences, I will be hosting a live Q&A in my Facebook group, The Rebel Authors. Uh, actually, I think it's just Rebel Authors on Facebook. So if you have a question for me, be it about writing, marketing, publishing, gin, unicorns, anything fucking else you want to ask me, then you can ask me those questions by, uh, well, you can turn up on the day and I will do my best to answer the questions, but you will get better answers from me if you send me the questions in advance. So you can tweet me at rebelauthorpod, you can send me an email at rebelauthor... Nope. You can send me an email at uh, rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com or you can drop into my Facebook group on the events page and leave your question 
or you can leave it on Podbean or any of the other uh, podcatching devices that you are listening to. The live will be on May the 29th. That will be at 9pm British time, UK time, BST, uh, 1pm Pacific time, so Los Angeles area, 4pm New York Eastern Standard Time, 6am Australian time, and I guess you'll have to use a time buddy thing to work it out um, for anywhere else that you may be in the world. Uh, So I will leave a link to the Facebook group in the show notes. Rebel of the week this week is Adrian Farr. Adrian says, one of my biggest rebel moments has to be when I finally jumped off the hamster wheel and made my great escape from the shit show that is the rat race. I had been working in a dead-end corporate job for several years and as a result I was depressed and angry. I had constant clashes with management because I dared to think outside the box and challenge the status quo. The company announced it would be making redundancies to anyone who was currently on a disciplinary or who had been off sick in the past year for more than seven days. Unfortunately, I was fine. My job was safe and I had a squeaky clean record. During my appraisal with my boss, he told me that I needed to be more compliant and to stop being such a dreamer. Maybe then I might actually make something decent of my life because I was a nobody without that job. Red mist descended upon me. The very next day I went off sick for 14 days. Full pay. I got myself on the naughty list. I then took my redundancy packet with a great big smile and I set myself up as a self-employed artist, pursuing my passions for creativity. Within two years, I had become an internationally published, featured, exhibited and commendable photographer and had assisted and trained under several world-class creators. I absolutely love this. Now, Adrian did go into uh, some more detail, but I have to keep the uh, snippets short. Um, So I may use what happened next in a different Rebel segment. But I love this so much, not only because he gave the corporate uh, face a big fuck you, but also because he then followed his passion as a creative. And how dare they tell you that you can't be a dreamer? Fuck them and fuck the system as far as I'm concerned. I don't know, I I assume that I've said this on the podcast, but I still remember the day that one of my bosses said to me that my personality was a risk for my reputation. Well, fuck you, because my personality is my reputation. Who's fucking laughing now, bitches? So yeah, like anybody tells you not to be you, screw them. Just just be you because being you and your authentic self is how you find your people. And that above anything else is more important than being compliant to some fucking bureaucratic bullshit. Anyway, rant over. If you would like to be a rebel of the week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, big, small, or somewhere in between. You can email your rebel story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com or tweet me at rebelauthorpod. One new patron this week. Thank you, a huge thank you to Paul A, who came in at the Rebel Lord level. And so he has now got access to the private Rebel Author Slack group, where we chat and can ask me questions and I will answer them. And basically we have a 
kind of an exclusive community and it's pretty fucking awesome. I'd like to say a huge thank you to all of my current patrons. You not only help to keep the podcast running, but you also make me feel like my potty mouth antics are worthwhile and mean something to the world, so thank you. If you would like to support the show and get access to all of the bonus essays, posts, content, sneak peeks, and etc, etc, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. And as always, that's Sasha with a C and not an S. This episode is sponsored by Kobo. And so I'm going to play a little word from the sponsor and then we will get on with the interview. Hi, I'm Stephanie. And I'm Tara. And we're from Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast, and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors, and our team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help authors reach new readers around the world. Our author-first approach is why we built our promotions tool, an easy and affordable way for you to market your book directly to Kobo readers right in the KWL dashboard. We post upcoming Kobo sales, many of which are exclusive to KWL authors. We offer lots of promos that don't require you to drop the price, because we know when you're publishing wide, it's a pain to coordinate pricing across multiple retailers. Are you using free as a marketing strategy? You can submit your books to be featured on Kobo's free page, which gets a ton of traffic. If you're a KWL author and don't yet have access to the promotions tool, email us at writinglifeatkobo.com and we'll get you sorted. We're all about providing stellar support. If you want to learn more about KWL, check out the Kobo Writing Life podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and find us on social. You can create your free account at kobo.com slash writinglife. We hope to see your books on Kobo soon. Happy Happy writing. writing! Hello and welcome back to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I am with Derek Murphy. Derek is an award-winning book cover designer with a PhD in literature. When not trolling obscure bookshops, he prefers to be sipping espresso surrounded by kittens and pursuing research on what it means to be a successful creative. Welcome. Thanks. Nice to be on. Nice to see you again virtually. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for listeners, I have met Derek a number of times now at a number of different conferences. And um, I asked him on because I watched uh, one of his uh, sessions on reader funnels and branding. And um, one thing that I love about Derek is just the plethora of creative ideas um, that he comes up with for marketing. So I was desperate to have him on um, the podcast. So thank you. And um, yeah, so just just for everybody listening, tell everybody where you are, because I think it's so cool. <laughs> um, I'm in Taiwan right now. Actually, I came to Taiwan like 20 years ago the first time during the SARS outbreak. And so now I'm back during another outbreak. <laughs> Um, and we've been a full-time digital nomads for like three years, but we decided to try to slow down a little bit and get an apartment here. Um, like you said, I have a plethora of ideas. I'm really good at the brainstorming and the generating ideas. I've been less good about the follow-through. For, so for, for many years, I do just enough work to skate by, and I've never really finished all of the projects that I mapped out. My, my blog, Creative Indie, like seven years ago at least, I mapped out like my my manifesto and my the book that was going to go to the blog. I never finished any of that stuff. Um, most of my projects are like half finished. I put a, a lot of rough content, um, which is really good for platform building. My, my content's been really useful for people, but I also feel like I haven't finished the big stuff. Like now that I have a platform, I want to be focusing on like more time with 
polishing one really good product at a time instead of doing a million things. So that's kind of what I'm trying to focus on. Amazing. And just explain to everybody uh, what digital nomad means. Like just quite where have you been in the last three years? Um, almost everywhere in the last three years. They're, they're definitely, they're a digital nomad hotspot. So digital nomad is someone who works online and doesn't have a home base. So they can just live out of Airbnbs and travel all the time. Um, and it's an attractive lifestyle and it's not actually that hard to achieve because if you're traveling, you don't need all of the stuff that normal people need when they're settled in one place. Um, and it, it's fun, but it, you know, after three years, after you go around the world like three or four times, then you've kind of been everywhere. Um, the digital nomad hotspots are like Saigon in Vietnam, Chiang Mai in Thailand, Lisbon, um, Medellin, Colombia, Mexico, we haven't been to for a while, but um, there are certain places that attract digital nomads because they have a nice mix of lifestyle and affordability and fast internet and everything. Um, so the interesting thing is all my friends that are digital nomads, we um, they don't live anywhere. So you can't go have a home base where all your peers are around. You have to keep moving if you want to stay with your your people. So for the first many years, we were not in the loop and gradually we figured out like there are certain times to be in certain places to, to make the most of. It's it's hard if you just work online all the time. You really need that community aspect. And it's really valuable to have peers around that you can talk business with. Um, so you kind of have to get in the flow of, of being around people. I think that's one of the hardest things about being a digital nomad. So now we're back in Taiwan and there's very few digital nomads here, which is going to be hard, but also um, hopefully I'll you know, this quarantining, like, regardless of what happens with the virus, we'll, we'll be bunkered down here for a couple of years trying to finish all our shit. So I think this is going to be <laughs> a productive time for us. I think it's amazing. And I think there is clearly a book in the in that digital nomad like lifestyle. Um, because I know I'm fascinated by it. So um, I love adore adore traveling. And um, yes, not very impressed that all our travel plans are scuppered this year. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so tell everyone a little bit more about your writing journey, and how you got to where you are. I mean, you've, you've done a little bit there over the last three years. But you know, how did because you have a, a PhD in just Tell everyone about all of your studies and, and how you got to where um, you are. So I started as a fine artist and I was trying to make it as a as a painter, um, which is challenging. I was I studied philosophy and theology, actually, in Malta. Um, I was always kind of traveling, even from pretty young. And then I went to Taiwan to teach English because I could teach a couple hours a day and, and have most of my time so I could focus on my painting. I had a big like rooftop attic where I did huge canvases and stuff. And I did all right. Um, but the main problem I had, which I'll go into more later, um, was that I was creating value for myself, art for myself. I was an, an art, a purist, um, romantic artist, which is the majority of artists and, and authors. Um, and the reason that they don't make any money and don't see any success is that they believe passionately in the product that they're building, but they don't care about the market reception or who's going to buy it or who's willing to pay for it. Um, so, I, you know, I was a struggling, starving artist. I hated my job. Um, I got into a master's in literature and then a PhD in literature, partly because Taiwan had a really good scholarship program. So I was kind of getting paid to go to school for like a decade, um, which was awesome. So I, you know, I could be a student and work in my business and teach part time for a while. Um, 
And I got into editing books and then book cover design, which aren't that dissimilar. I, I knew enough about graphic design and online stuff from my, from my art background. Um, and there was a lot of demand because there's tons of people self-publishing and there's not a lot of reputable service providers. So I got in at the right time. Um, I built some pretty strong businesses, but I was really frustrated that regardless of how good the cover is or how good the editing is, I couldn't make these books good and I couldn't make them sell well. And the authors had no idea what to do after they published with no email list, no marketing, no ads, nothing. Um, so like, even if I did my best work, even if I got paid well for it, I was dissatisfied because I knew I wasn't really providing value. So I got more into like the craft of actually writing fiction. I started writing my own fiction. Um, I played around with marketing because I wanted to like help my clients to know what to do next. Um, I wrote book marketing is dead probably like six or seven years ago, which was just about like, don't do the stupid promotional bullshit that most authors are doing, the, the spammy stuff um, that most authors do because they're desperate and they don't know any better. And then Gorilla Publishing is a little bit more advanced, like what do you actually do to start building your platform? So I do a lot of that stuff. I have a lot of content, but um, I prefer just to be working on my own books and hopefully this year I'll finish. I, I, I made I've made pretty good money with my fiction, but um, I'm not making it a full-time income. That's mostly because I haven't finished all the open series that I've started. So once I'm, I know and I'm confident that once I get all those books finished, I can switch over to just having a full-time fiction income and writing fiction full-time, which is amazing. But I have to get the work done and finish all those series. Um, so that's kind of where I've been stalling on that for a long time. And I was distracted by other projects. It's always easier to take the quick money when people want to pay for something, but I really have to just refuse and, you know, put in the time and the effort to finish the books that I want to write, but also the books that my readers are expecting. I'm in a unique position that I've already done my platform building and my marketing. So I know that, you know, I know that the books will continue selling. I know that they're good. I know my readers want them. I just have to be putting out the content. Yeah, that's definitely, uh, uh, I'm sort of smiling and nodding here because, um, so I quit my job a year ago to do this full time and um, I am rapidly approaching my one year anniversary and I'm yet to publish. <laughs> <laughs> a book in this last year um mm -hmm. and so i do i mean i i have 75k in one book that is just just needs kicking over the the finish line mm -hmm. and um i'm now in a pre-order period for um non-fiction but still you know before i left my job i was publishing three or four books a year whilst i had oh. a full-time job so you know the fact that i'm now doing this full-time and you know didn't publish anything for a year. I'm like, what happened? Um, it's funny but... how that works out. I've also found that when you like, you feel like you need no distractions to get the work done, but when you have nothing but time and no external pressure, it's really easy just not to do the work. Yeah, I, I, I mean, like to be really happy. Like I did my thousand words, so I'm done for the day. I'm not going to do anything else. Yeah, for me, it was like more of what you were saying about all of the other things. So I did a lot of freelance work and I did uh -huh. some editing work and I just think that I prioritized the wrong things. And so that's now this next, you know, quarter and, and well, couple of quarters this year, I will definitely be prioritizing my words. Um, 
Okay, so I asked you um, to come on to talk about um, one of the sessions that you presented, um, and it was all about reader funnels. So for those who don't know, can you explain what a reader funnel is and why it's so important? Sure. So there are basically two ways to market your books. Um, you are either going to pay to access somebody else's platform who already has an audience, which is advertising, possibly guest posts or, or content marketing for, to some extent, but mostly you're getting permission to access somebody else's relationship with their audience because you don't have an audience of your own. That's really hard. Either it's expensive and you, you're, you can't be competitive because you don't have enough content or your book isn't converting well enough, um, so advertising doesn't work or you have to always be outreaching to other people and begging for favors um, and stuff like that. So that's that's direct and it's effective, but it's also harder. So the value of a reader funnel is that instead of putting a, a one-time advertisement in front of someone and it either converts and it does or it doesn't and you lose a person forever, um, with a reader funnel, you get them to pay attention to you. You get them on your email list or aware of your content. I would, I mean, generally it's used to talk about emails, but I would suggest that getting them on your Facebook group or um, even if you get them to read an article on your blog and then you can retarget them with Facebook ads, um, which you can do with a pixel, basically being able to show one person the same content enough times for them to register and take notice and to start paying attention to you and so that you can start building a relationship. So the value of a reader funnel is that it's not a one-time thing, it's a long-term exposure to your brand um, and not just selling crap to a potential reader and trying to get them to buy something, but trying to develop the relationship. So you're not just earning a sale, you're earning a fan, which will pay out multiple times, but takes longer. Um, it takes longer to work. It's, it's more effort, except at the same time, most of it can be automated. So once you get them on your email list, if you have a really smart autoresponder series, that can be going out for like three months without you ever having to follow up with one specific reader. You're just slowly building trust and credibility um, and you know getting them to like and know and trust you to the point where they finally trust you enough to start actually reading some of your book. That's kind of the end goal. You send them free chapters or excerpts, you send them um, reviews or, or launch information, but before you try to sell them anything, you prove your worth. Nobody really wants to take, no one wants to pay to trust a new writer because there's so much crap out there um, and there's so much free stuff. They know that, you know, they've been burned before, even for 99 cent deals. They don't want to take a complete chance on a totally new book, unless it's like, you know, if it has amazing reviews and amazing cover, amazing blurb, if you're doing everything perfectly right, it can convert, it can convert pretty well, but it's still so much easier to get them to invest in a short little piece of content, a free chapter, a few paragraphs even, um, to get them to pay attention and be like, okay, this was good. This person can write what I like to read. I'm gonna take a chance on you know, checking out what other books they have for me. This is a lot easier to do. Um, well, I think your next question is about next steps. So that's probably enough for this. It is. I'm like trying to scribble notes down. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, when I transcribe this, I'm gonna have to, um, oh, take so many notes. Um, okay, I'll, I'll stop writing notes. Um, so you spoke a, about a lot of things, um, that 
probably a lot of uh, newer writers won't necessarily know about. So um, you mentioned email lists, you mentioned autoresponders, you mentioned um, Facebook ads, blogs. Um, so what are the elements that a writer needs in order to set up and create their reader funnel? Um, I'm making notes to myself to add something. So basically, all you need is an email list and a landing page. So most of the email providers, um, and the big ones are ConvertKit or MailChimp, or um, I'm using MailerLite now, which is a cheaper option. Um, and there are other cheaper options. The, the challenge is like MailChimp is free for up to 2,000 readers, which can sound pretty good. But if you're getting them on your list from a freebie, like opt-in bribe is what I call them, or a reader magnet, which is basically like one short piece of content, not a full book, but maybe a sample chapter, excuse me, a sample chapter or a prequel or a little short story. Um, you don't want to spend tons of time on it, but you want to make it really good and you want it to attract the right reader. So depending on the main books you want to write, you want a reader magnet that's very desirable and attractive and really good, but also short so you're not spending years writing it. Um, and you might need more than one. You might need to test three or four and the, the interesting thing is you can actually make covers and the blurb um, and you can test out which reader magnet is going to be the most successful by running, you know, 10 or $20 in Facebook ads and seeing which ones get the most likes or clicks or um, subscribers. And then you can write that book and just use it as the reader magnet instead of, you know, writing them all first and, and trying to figure out or guess what your audience wants. So that's kind of one little um, hack. But what I was going to say is like MailerLite, most of the other ones too, but I like MailerLite system. Um, you can set up your email list and you can set up a landing page, which is just like a nice looking page that has your book cover, an opt-in box, maybe a couple of reviews. You can kind of put what you want on there. Um, and the value is you don't really need a website or a blog. And I'll talk more about that in a minute, but you could be just sending traffic you know, people are interested in hearing more about your book. When you talk about it, you want a, to have a place where they can sign up to get news when you launch it. Um, I wouldn't be asking for buys. I wouldn't be trying to pre-order it to a cold audience, um, but I would try to be getting people on my email list so I can talk to them about what I'm working on, hopefully get them interested over time so that when the book releases, I can at least offer them a free review copy to try to get reviews quickly. I don't personally really focus on sales from my email list. I focus on um, reviews or getting the word out, which I'll, I'll have to start changing. Like the first book I'll probably give for free to my list, but then I'd expect them to buy the second or the third book or the box set if they want to like finish um, the thing. And I'm not actually particularly strong at sales. I'm, I'm really good at giving away free content and building my email list. I need to get a little better about, you know, communicating the value and asking for the sale without um, I always, I, I'm always insecure about selling, so I go overboard about convincing or trying to sell the thing with like all free bonuses or discounts or like too much social proof so it gets overwhelming. Um, so that's a mistake I'm trying to rectify by just, you know, you, you communicate the value, you state the price, you know, you ask for the sale. You can do it a lot easier as long as you, if it's not working, then you're not communicating the value well enough or your cover doesn't work your blurb, you know, isn't solving their questions. Um, but if you're doing it right, then a very simple offer should convert pretty well. So 
before we move on, I was going to mention websites and social media because a lot of people will ask, you know, do I need a website? Do I need a blog? How does that all work? Um, usually you get your own domain and you set up a WordPress site. You can pick any theme. WordPress has a lot of themes. And you want to kind of make something clear and simple. And it's nice to have a blog because then you can start writing the right kind of content that attracts. Um, and like I said earlier, you're either you're either leveraging someone else's platform or you're attracting them organically with content. And you really need a blog to start doing that well, but it also takes a long time, a lot of content. So it's not the first move because it's easier to just go straight to advertising and target the right readers directly. You could send them straight to a landing page, like for your advertise the freebie offer, send them straight to a landing page, get them on your email list. Um, but you're you're paying for that. And it can be profitable as long as you have enough content that converts well enough that you can make the money back. But most authors aren't going to have that, especially for your first book. So it's going to be difficult you know, to launch really well with advertising because you're not getting the sales enough to justify it. Um, and there's no reason why you can't also be building up your blog and your organic evergreen content because long-term that's going to be really powerful for you. Um, I've been blogging for a while. I don't blog that often. I probably blog like once a month. Um, and I, I definitely need to focus on that. But I also have a lot of traffic that I know I'm not using very well. Um, and that's the other problem with with blogging is I get a lot of traffic, but they aren't necessarily targeted, interested readers. I might hope to distract some of them with like an opt-in form or an offer, um, but generally like, you know, one or 2% of my traffic might convert to a subscriber if I'm just relying on cold traffic, because they're probably there for the wrong reasons. They're probably there for something unrelated or accidental. Most traffic only stays on your site for like five seconds anyway. Um, so it's a long-term strategy. It can work really well, but it's, not as powerful as just you know direct having a really tight funnel um, knowing exactly who your audience is and what they want giving them a small taste of something putting them through a really strict um, engagement education series and there's ways that you can um there's things you should, you should talk about and touch on and ways to build the trust and the credibility in your email series but you basically what I see a lot of people doing wrong is they start a blog or a website, but they don't know what to talk about. So they just post like random life updates. Um, there's no content on their blog that matches what their readers are searching for. So they're never going to start showing up in organic search results. So they feel like the blog is a waste of time because they're not getting any traffic anyway. So nobody's even seeing what they're writing, um, which is all totally true when you start off. But over time, when you start having more content focused on the topics that your particular audience is interested in and searching for. Um, and a lot of authors, they're not blogging at all or they're not blogging well. So it's actually pretty easy. When I started writing fiction, I started um, a blog for my for my fiction, which is my personal um, writing site. And I didn't go with like Derek Murphy author. I went with Urban Epics. I focused on the topic rather than the, the name brand because people don't know me yet and I want to show up for I want strangers to find me for content without me having to drive people. Like otherwise you'd have to introduce yourself somehow to people so that they know your name and they're searching for your name in your books, um, which they're not going to do. That's not what you really want to blog for because you still have to do the work. You want the blog, the blog to be doing the work um, for you. So I have Urban Epics, which is just kind of my writing updates. And then I have the YA shelf, which is just a general all purpose um, young adult fantasy type blog. 
And that one's up to like probably 300 visitors a day, which is not too bad. Um, we post a lot of like top 10 young adult urban fantasy with spaceships and vampires, like very specific long-term keywords. So when people search for like the best mermaid fantasy books or whatever, um, we probably have 30 or 40 blog posts on a whole bunch of different topics. So that's where we get most of our traffic. And that just leads them to like a list of books, but that's what they're looking for. And then I could put my book in that category on the top, or I could have a strong opt-in offer at the bottom. Um, once they're on the site, you know, I could also, like I said, be retargeting them. I could retarget my um, free, perma-free book or my, my prequel or whatever with Facebook ads to the site traffic, which is like 10,000 visitors a month. So in theory, that could be cheaper than um, trying to target a cold audience. And it might convert better because they might recognize, oh, I saw this offer on the website, but I didn't take advantage of it. Now it's here on Facebook again. So they're more likely to pay attention. Absolutely. My my mind is like blowing up again. And I know that I, you know, heard you speak about some of this content, but every single time you talk about it, I'm like, oh, there's so many things I should be doing. <laughs> um, one of the things that I loved, I wrote down just then um, was if it's not working, then you're probably not communicating the value of the thing that you're doing. And I think that's so true because, um, and this goes back to what you were saying earlier, that writers too often think about the value for themselves and for us but really when you're trying to attract readers the value that you should be communicating is what is the value for others and that's why um i loved that you mentioned um you know when you're blogging it's not necessarily life updates but it's themes and topics from the genre or the you know the category that readers are in so you know best male vampires or something you know whatever um because it's those kinds of things that readers are looking for so you know guys listening this isn't about us <laughs> this might be about our books but it's not about us you've got to think about the reader and and you know um be generating content that readers would actually look for um i see that mistake a lot just in book descriptions so i mean there, there's a huge problem with most people's covers anyway um and the cover is just the cover has to communicate the i used to say the cover sells the book and it's not actually true the cover just has to communicate the the genre or topic closely enough that readers recognize what this is potentially about. You know, it has to be really, really obvious and attractive. And if it looks good enough, they'll read the blurb. And the blurb has to tell the story, um, but also it has to really communicate what genre it is. A lot of authors, they have really detailed like plot descriptions or summary, but even after reading it, I don't know if it's urban fantasy or paranormal or even dystopian or science fiction, like hopefully the cover would be really clear, but it, it often isn't. And if the blurb doesn't communicate that either, I, I may know everything about the story and still not want to read it because I don't know if it's the genre that I like. So um, plus just having keywords helps your book show up in organic search results. So if, if people are like, maybe they click on your book, maybe they're reading it, but you don't tell them exactly what it is and who it's for, um, they'll skip because they're not going to take a chance and like, I want this cover looks cool. I, I don't know what genre it is, but I'm just going to buy it and figure it out. You got to really explain to readers exactly what the book is. Um, and it's an easy fix, which is adding, you know, a short list of keywords, like people who love 
this is a slow burn paranormal romance with vampires and werewolves for people who love Twilight and blah blah blah. Like it's it's not hard to do, but a lot of authors still don't do that. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean all of the notes basically. I'm so glad I get these transcribed. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so thinking. Um, actually, I'm going to change the order of the questions because you've started talking about content. So you you've talked a little bit about um, blog type content, um, but what other types of content can um, writers use to um, attract you know their audience it, down into their reader funnel? Um, I heard this somewhere um, in some book that I read. I, I can't remember the source, but we're, they were talking about branding and authority, basically. How do you get people to trust you? Um, which is kind of what you want in your content. Like you have to you have to give readers content that they're looking for, helpful, informative, useful, valuable, um, potentially entertaining, but that's really tricky unless you're very, very funny and you have a really strong voice. Um, it's harder to do humor. It's easier to just do practical nuts and bolts problem solving stuff. Um, but there's three things that you can include. Like you have to, you get them to pay attention for the content and they don't care at all about you. They don't want to hear about you or your life or what you want or what you care about because they don't give a shit. But you kind of have to sneak it in anyway so that they can start to see you as a person because that's what branding is all about. So these three things were, you need to share facts, stories, and quotes. Um, and the reason is facts shows that you've done your research. You you know this shit because you've done research. Um, I had to do this when I was doing my graduate work. And I would always just like, I read the book. I want to write my thoughts and feelings about the book down. Um, and my professor told me I had to do a literature review. I had to show that I had read everybody else's responses first so that I could make sure I was providing something new and original and not just, you know, whatever my opinion. So you show that you've done the research by sprinkling in some some facts and data, um, even just name dropping, like your favorite books, um, little, like if I write young adult fantasy, I know who all the young adult fantasy bestselling authors are. So if I, I mean, name dropping can be kind of sleazy, but if I mention, you know, I met Victoria Schwab at a conference and she gave me this really inspirational advice that changed my writing habits. Um, that's a nice little story I can share with my audience that has immediate appeal because my audience also loves that author. I love that author. I got to meet her. Um, I'm basically uh, like attracts like, so I just need to share things that I love that I know my audience also loves. And that's a really easy way of just building some sympathy and bonding. Um, so facts and then stories, which would be personal anecdotes or vulnerable shares because you really need, just like you're the hero of your own story. Um, I read about, I, I study story architecture and craft and I know all about the hero's journey, but I never really applied it to my brand or my business until um, recently, a year or so ago. I kind of, and I was always hesitant, like with my, with my art and stuff, people would want to know what is this art mean to you the artist like why did you make this and I didn't want to comment because I wanted the viewers to create their own relationship with my art that had nothing nothing to do with me um, and that's not how art works they they don't art doesn't especially in fine art and painting it doesn't have a meaning other than what you tell about it the story that you tell about it um, and it's not as much the case in the book world but in the art world the story is like 90% of the value because all art is basically canvas and paint uh, the difference between a, a $50,000 painting and a $500 painting 
is just what it, what is the artist's background story? What is their personal traumatic experience? What are they trying to achieve with this project? Those are things that add value to the work. Um, and in, there's no luxury market for for books, uh, and to the same degree as as in the art world. So you can't um, you can't make your book. You know the difference between five dollars and five hundred books. Five hundred dollars. No one's going to buy your your book for that much more money. Um, but the stories you decide to tell about your life and your brand, being deliberate about the stories that you tell, to get that initial sympathy, just like you would do in the first chapter. Like you have to show before you start the story or the adventure, before you put your your main character in hot water, you have to make readers care about what happens to them by make you know giving them a fatal flaw, making them sympathetic. Um, usually, just they start off in the shit. You put the cat in the tree or whatever. You you um, you know you you share honest, vulnerable anecdotes from your life in a way that is not exactly like a humble brag, but a little bit is. Um, I try not to be like it's hard. I have to like talk about having a PhD or talking about travel full time without just sounding like an asshole who's bragging about his lifestyle. So I try to be really authentic and honest, um, which I think is really good for my brand. But only in the last year did I really start pouring in um, personal stories, like deep, deeply painful personal stories that are real um, and a little bit like raw. And people really respond to that. And I hate using those stories as marketing. On the other hand, if I want if I want my readers to care about anything that I'm doing, I kind of have to be a little bit vulnerable and give them something they can latch onto, something that hits them on an emotional level, because that's kind of what stories are all about and why stories are important, because facts and data, it's just, it's just headspace. They're not going to remember it. They're not going to care about it. If you want people to pay attention, you have to hit them emotionally. And you can only do that if you can get them to picture a scene in their minds um, in an emotional way, hopefully. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the value of the stories. And then the third point was just quotes. So it was uh, facts, stories, and quotes. And quotes are just really easy. I'm actually going to switch to um, to memes, I think, because memes are just like, I can illustrate, like I can write a huge blog post or article about the value of book covers or, or the challenge of writing or plotting, or I can find like a one picture funny meme that is so much stronger and just put that at the end of all of my emails. Um, so I'll do some of that, but I also like throwing in some quotes from like obscure 18th century literary um, authors that not like just famous quotes that everybody knows, but like really strong, powerful quotes because that kind of shows that I'm, I've got a background in literature and I, I read a lot of books. So it's kind of subtle branding that way also. Mm, I love it. I um, particularly love the the personal stories because um, I think so many writers are afraid to share those things and um, but actually if you think about it it's that those personal stories make you vulnerable as the author yes but it's the emotional connection that it's building um, and if we think about it all story is based on emotion it's the emotional journey of the hero it's you know their emotional arc and change and um, so just like you were saying about applying that hero's journey to yourself like that's so true and I think 
that is possibly one of the bigger takeaways I'm going to take away from this because I do try to be my absolute self on this podcast and I know I've shared things I probably would never have thought to have shared before um, or, or even wanted to share but you know you do because you know you, you're talking and you can't hide who you are but um yeah, I love that. And I and so just to those listening, definitely don't shy away from sharing those stories. And you may think, oh, they're not interesting or, you know, people aren't aren't going to be interested. But actually, if you've managed to get somebody, you know, far enough down your reader funnel, then they are there for your content and for your stories, be they fictional or, you know, the odd personal anecdote as well. I love that. I, I have, again, <laughs> written lots of notes. Um it's also okay. just to get them to lean in and pay attention. So you, I usually I'll make a list of just like personal stories. And whenever I remember a funny story, I'm not a storyteller, so I don't talk these stories out, um, which is why I never really shared them before. But I have a big list of stories. And then when I need one, I can go through and try to figure out like, does this, because re- you have a message or a book launch or, or a promotion or something you want them to pay attention to, but I'll find a story that I can use as a lead-in. You have to find a story that transitions well into the thing. Um, and often, like, you can just use, when you write a book, it's probably, there's a there's a reason. There was an impetus. There was a there was a turning point in your life that got you thinking in this direction. Um, and, you, you know, it inspired you. It was important enough for you that it made you sit down and spend months writing this book. So that's usually a good starting point, is when was that moment where this book really clicked for you or like when maybe like a maybe you got stuck in the middle and you were really frustrated but then you had this epiphany or breakthrough those are really good stories also like how hard the book was to write and how happy you are with it now um that's that's good storytelling for a book launch Oh, I'm going to have to go and completely rewrite all my autoresponders. And uh, yeah, I, you're making me think about so many different things. So um, a lot of my young adult um, fantasy series um, is inspired is inspired by some of the travels I did. And there's like a love story um, that's kind of true, um, a fleeting love story nonetheless, but one from the Himalayas when I was trekking up to Mount Everest Base Camp. And I'm like, oh my God, this actually influenced the story. Why the hell haven't I told this story before? Like, mm-hmm. oh, so many ideas. See, I, see, this is why I wanted to talk to you. This is amazing. Those are nice little, um, they're nice for reader notes also at the back of your novel, because at the back of your novel, like people probably aren't paying attention to you or they don't care about you enough yet. But when they finish reading your book, like they may not be ready to go sign up for something if you offer offer them an opt-in bribe, but they may be willing, now that they've read your book, they may be willing to listen to who you are a little bit more. So while they're still in your book, you can have that author's story about, you know, one personal anecdote that relates to the writing of this book. And then you know, this is who I am, this is why I write, and if you want to follow me to get new releases or get a free, you know, prequel or or whatever. So I would probably have that story inside the book. That's also something else I've been doing recently. Um, I have I have a lot of subscribers and I have a good autoresponder series, but only like 20% of people actually go through and, and open all your emails. So I've started actually, and my emails, like, they're too long and they come every day, so a lot of people unsubscribe just because, not because I don't have good content, it's just overwhelming. Um, And I don't want to scare people away. So I've started to try packaging things together a little bit. Um, Instead of my long autoresponder series, I turned it all into like a three page PDF that just links to all of those emails. 
then when they sign up, I can just say, here's everything. You know, you don't have to open your emails. You can go through it all at once and get to the end and get to my offer. Um, read it in one sitting if you want to. I think that's going to be effective. You should still have like a long ongoing autoresponder series with the other stuff, but just in case they never read it. Like if 80% of the people aren't even reading your emails, you want to be able to sneak in the same content to where they're actually paying attention. So like the back of your book or just giving them, you know, upfront. Um, I'm going to start doing that more with like a lot of my nonfiction books. I'm going back and revising because I haven't included the stories or I make them sign up to a offer. And then in the email series, I try to maybe sell them an upgrade or a small course or something. But then, you know, if I get a hundred book sales and 10 people sign up to my email list and two people actually go through and read on, on my emails, um, as an alternative, I could put the same offer like inside the book, in the back of the book, which I've seen some people do, um, which is, you know, more effective. Like I said about the author's note, like after you have the content, um, establishing the brand with a personal anecdote or story, establishing the offer and pre-selling the offer. So not just like sign up for updates or sign up for this short something, but like giving them the first couple of pages, giving them stories so that they can be satisfied with the content you're already sharing before you ask for the sell or even just ask for the opt-in. Like before you get, before you ask for anything, you have to prove the value first. You have to pre-sell, even if it's a free thing, you have to convince them that it's worth signing up for. Absolutely. Um, I honestly, you should see the state of my notes page for how many things I've written down. Um, uh, offline, I totally need to ask you about uh, MailerLite as well. But okay, so last, last sort of chunky question then. Once a reader, um, once a reader, once a writer has their funnel set up, what are some good ways of like maintaining their audience? So you know, you've got, you've got, you've done the content to draw them in. Um, what what's next? How do you keep them? Um, let's say you can only publish one book a year. Like, how can you keep them engaged? Um, so there's a couple of things. I'll talk a little bit about social media because I didn't really talk about it before. A lot of authors are curious about, you know, what to do on social media. Um, social media is for networking and relationship building. It's not really for sales. So that's where you would keep showing up um, and establish relationships, not by selling promotional stuff or content and not just by talking about yourself, but sharing interesting, valuable things. Um, on my email list, I would have probably like bi-weekly, I would say what I'm reading this month and I'd have like a short book review or a blog post or a video talking about, you know, a book that, I, that I'm reading that I love. Those are always really popular. Um, and then you can make like, I have a list on my blog that's just like my favorite books of all time that I put in my email series. And whenever I read something good that's new, I'll add it there. And the value is whenever, you know, I'm always selling my books. So when people buy my, buy my books and then they get on my um, email series, they might go to that blog post and buy a couple other books. And that's good for my also bots because I'm, I'm telling them what books are kind of similar to what I am writing also. Um, so that's valuable, but then also like a bi-weekly writing update or an excerpt. Like I, you know, I am halfway through this book or I just finished chapter three and here's my favorite paragraph. That's a really easy thing to do. It doesn't have to be polished. It's just like a short, you know, describe your writing lifestyle or your day a little bit, um, add a vulnerable personal share, and then just add a couple paragraphs of what you're actually working on. That's kind of a nice way to stay updated. 
Um, but also engagement is more about letting other people talk to you. So it's about asking questions. So it's, it's almost always more valuable to ask questions or feedback um, than it is to like tell people what you're working on because they don't really care what you're working on, but they care about expressing their own opinion. So if you say, I just read this book, did you read it? What do you think about it? Comment here. Um, and Facebook can work really well for that, for like discussions and dialogues. With Facebook, you kind of need a, a page that's your author brand because that's what people will like and that's where you can run advertisements from, but you don't really get good engagement and you actually have to pay to access your own audience. So just having, I think I have 10,000 likes or something on my author page, but if I post something, especially if I post like a link out to Amazon, I'll only get like 100 organic views because Facebook doesn't want to be showing that content. Facebook doesn't want people to leave Facebook um, so a video works a lot better, a Facebook Live or just a video where you just talk about your new release and then maybe down in the comments somewhere you could add the link or you could just tell people to go search for it on Amazon. Um, but even so, groups get a lot more long-term engagement. It's easier to get more views there. So I would focus on building up my group with engagement. Um, I don't use my personal Facebook for marketing and you're not actually supposed to, though I know a lot of people um, do. You're not really supposed to sell promotional stuff on your personal profile. Um, but you'd want to just be showing up and sharing life updates or memes or interesting things. You want to be a little careful not to be too political because you don't want to alienate anyone. Although, um, depending on what you write, it can work to your favor. There's no harm in being yourself um, and alienating everybody who isn't like you if, they're, if you're going to attract the people. Like if you're if you try to please everybody, you won't really please anybody. So you don't want to be, you want to know who your audience is and what they respond to. And I'd rather, you know, share something that I think is funny, even if it's really dark humor that I know, you know, might be a little too much for some people, but I know my audience will dig it. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with like some people leaving. Um, but mostly like you don't want to be selling all the time or even, you know, creating good content on your blog all the time. You just want to show up frequently. Most of my, like I, I use Facebook and, and Twitter to some extent, but mostly Facebook for peer networking. So I will find people who write my genre. I'll find a new book that I love the cover. I'll add them as a friend on Facebook and we never even talk to each other or say hi, but over, you know, years being in the same groups, commenting or liking each other, like you can, you can go onto a major big, like genre specific or topic specific Facebook group find a hot controversial topic and just go through and like everybody's comments because everybody's commenting on this thing. They're, they're giving their opinion and nobody else is like, they may get one or two likes. And if you just go through and like, everybody likes to feel seen and, and heard and appreciated. So just by like showing up and like, like going through and liking a hundred things, I don't do it very often, but um, as a way to like, if you want to be in a new group and get people to kind of recognize your face or your name and be like, who is this guy who keeps liking my comments? It's a easy, non-threatening way to start building social karma um, on social media. And by social karma, I just mean like without selling anything, you want to be showing up in a non-threatening, positive way so that people feel comfortable with you and they start, you know, being okay with you being in the group, being around you. And eventually when you have something to say, they'll be more likely to support you or listen to you because you've you've been there, you've been showing up. So a lot of it, it's not 
marketing, it's not promotion. Um, I wouldn't even say it's like content marketing, like developing content. It's just presence, um, which is easy to do on social media. It's I wouldn't spend like it's easy to just spend all your time on social media. I'd be careful against that as well. Um, but it's better than like showing up on Twitter and spamming promotional crap all the time because that doesn't work at all. Mm, absolutely. Wow. I hope everybody has a pen, a piece of paper for this session. Um, okay. I'm, I'm kind of, my brain has melted a little bit because there's just so many ideas and so many things that I, I feel like really motivated to go away and improve everything. Um, so thank you. Uh, yeah, what a, what a feel good episode. Um, okay, this is my favourite question, always. Um, but this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell me about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Okay, I prepared for this question. Um, and I wanted to, <laughs> rather than just tell a story, I wanted to try to hone in on a really important point um, that I think is too often overlooked and it's kind of essential to my brand. So um, a statement that's kind of hard to hear. Hard to hear. I was always kind of a rebel um, at heart. Like I said earlier, I was a purist, art for art's sake. Um, I didn't care if people didn't get it. I didn't care if nobody else liked it. I felt like and this is something I see now, a lot of newer authors do. They, they say things like, well, I'm not writing for the common, the lowest common denominator. I'm not writing public crap that people can enjoy. I'm writing, you know, real art or whatever. Um, and the danger with that is they never, it, it's, it takes less courage to publish that kind of art. People assume that to be that kind of a true artist and to not care what the world thinks is real courage. Um, and I don't think that's the case. I think it's kind of a cop-out. I think it's easier because you don't have to worry about reception. You don't have to worry about quality. You can just assume you're a great writer because you're ignoring all of the feedback that tells you otherwise or, or like any other evidence. If nobody likes your book, if you get negative reviews, nobody buys it, you can just say, well, they didn't get my art. I, I wrote it from my soul, so I know it must be good even if nobody's willing to buy it. Um, I think that's ultimately it's a recipe for failure but insidiously, it can also just be a reason to stick to your guns and feel like you're being this rebel author when you're really not. I think it takes much more courage um, to try to produce work that satisfies an audience and to respect that audience enough to care what they think about your work. Um, I don't think it's necessarily harder. I don't think it's less creative. I actually think it's a lot more enjoyable and easier to do it intentionally, to figure out, okay, I know what this author, what well, I know what this audience wants and responds to. Am I a good enough author to deliberately craft something that pleases them, that they enjoy reading, that they like more than any of the other books that are out there? Can I like, can I step up my quality game? Um, because I think it's much easier to write quality books if you have some kind of marker to let you know if you're doing it right. Because the the other path is just. Um, I don't care if I'm doing it right. I don't care what other people say. I'm just going to do it my way with no rules and no structure, no plot. Um, and they feel like that way leads to quality. I don't think that's the case. And even if it was the case, there's no objective measurement uh, or value. Um, so what a lot of people do is they just they write their shit and then they give up because nobody wants to read it. Um, I think it takes more courage to say, okay, I'm not a good enough writer yet. People aren't responding to my work. People aren't writing what I, they aren't liking what I wrote for whatever reason, you know, I'm failing. Do I have enough courage to 
change what I'm willing to write to please the audience. That's a really scary step for most authors, and that's usually the point of failure. It's usually like authors do it their way first because they believe it's the right way, um, and then most of them quit. And some authors recognize there's this huge hungry audience who is looking for good content, and the majority of authors are not willing to write quality content for that audience. Am I willing to not compromise or sell out, but am I willing to challenge myself to write that kind of content that you know people actually want to read? Um, that's a step that I think is really important, and the sooner you make that step, the easier things are going to be for you. So that's kind of what my whole um, my blog, Creative Indie, is all about. That's this shift I made a long time ago. Was I decided to stop being a starving artist and figure out how I can make things that people want and that art is art is something that other people value and appreciate if you're just writing for yourself and nobody else values it or appreciate it, if it doesn't matter to other people i don't think it's true art so it's kind of a, it's not that hard of a shift if you just think of and i i get in a lot of trouble all the time because i think most authors are selfish or um you know people say the vanity press thing which is a common term um but i've used terms like I don't know, selfish or conceited, which ruffles a lot of feathers and it has a really negative connotation. But it's basically, are you writing for yourself and your own enjoyment or are you writing for other people and other people's enjoyment? And you can, you can do both, but you can't always do both. Um, and it's so much easier to write quality books that sell if you decide to write for other people instead of just writing for yourself. You also have a plan or a roadmap or some guidance, or you can improve um so like when i publish i'll if it's not working then there's a problem and rather than just suffering through it or giving up i will figure it out i will test my covers immediately i'll change my blurbs um i'll you know i'll figure out what's not working and i'll fix it if i get a lot of really ne i mean i won't like rewrite my books but if i get negative feedback about my books um i'll go back and take a hard look at them and say like could i could i you know, are they right? Did I make mistakes? Could I make it better? And I think that's that's a valuable thing to do that a lot of people don't do. So for me, like if I want to be a rebel author, it's counterintuitive, but I would say to be a rebel author, um, and that's kind of what guerrilla publishing is all about. It's not doing it the old fashioned way, not doing it like the traditional publishing model. Um, I think indie authors have do been doing some really exciting things. And usually if they're the first person on you know, whenever Amazon has some new thing that nobody else has jumped on yet, if you're the first person getting into audiobooks or advertising Facebook ads or Amazon ads, um, Q Howie was the first to get into like Kindle Worlds. So if you're if you are flexible enough to be producing your content at the right time and willing to tap into whatever unexplored marketing channel pops up, um, you're really well positioned in a way that traditional publishers have never had the opportunity to, to be so. Um, but you really have to be willing to to be flexible and to position yourself, you know, to ride the wave that, that's rising rather than to do it your way. And I think too many authors, especially when they're starting off or with their first book, they're absolutely not flexible. They want their cover, their book to be done their way. They don't care about anything else. They just have their opinions. Um, and they get almost everything wrong and they're not willing to, to listen to criticism or feedback um, because they just, they think they know better. And that's very, very rarely, you know, it, it can work, but 
the vast majority of first-time authors fail because they didn't do any of this stuff. They didn't think about the audience or the marketing or the packaging or the positioning. Um, and even if they finally did, they didn't write a book that anybody wanted to read. And they, they never studied story architecture or, or outlining or craft or any of the important stuff um, to write a satisfying book. So I think the sooner you get to that point of being not a rebel to not just a rebel to traditional publishing, but a rebel to the outdated romantic ideology of creative art as being the passion and the suffering and the, um, you know, go into a cave and produce for the world. Um, I, I don't think that's a, I don't think it works anymore. Um, and I think it's potentially very dangerous for beginning authors. So I try to, you know, educate people as early in the process as I can, but ultimately it's their choice. And it can feel really scary if you're not ready for it. It can feel like you're giving up your dreams to write for the market. Um, but successful authors have figured out it's much easier and much more profitable and much more rewarding to actually have an audience that loves what you do and is willing to pay you for. And you want to get to that point as fast as possible so you're not getting into the risk of frustration or depression or giving up that most authors face because they, they never reach that point. Mm. Absolutely. Um, okay, tell listeners where they can find out more about you and your books. So I blog in frequently at creativeindie.com. Um, and somewhere on that site, I have links to get a free copy of Book Marketing is Dead. or um, I have one that's publishing on a budget or marketing on a budget and guerrilla publishing. I have a lot of free books. Um, I'm going to revamp them all this year, like I said, and put in a lot more, you know, organization and deliberation and stories and try to just make them stronger and updated. Um, but I give those away for free to the indie author community just because I want, you know, I want to help them as early as possible to get the basics right so that they don't spend years trying to figure it all out by themselves. Amazing. Um, and so I think that brings us to the end then. So thank you so much for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. I know that I have gone away with about 15 things that I need to do. And so I'm hoping that everybody else goes away with even more than uh, me. Um, thank you very much to all of the show's patrons who helped to keep the show running. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, then you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Derek Murphy. And this was the Rebel Author Podcast. This episode will be a first for the Rebel Author Podcast because it is a Rebel Takeover. Daniel Wilcox, host of the Great Writers Share podcast and my co-host on Next Level Authors, will be here to take over the reins and turn the tables on me and we'll be talking all about how to develop your prose. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.